Welcome to this episode of the Outside of Sunday podcast. Today we're going to talk about transgender ideology. What is transgenderism? And as Christian parents, how do we handle this topic with our kids? All right, welcome back to the podcast, Outsiders. It's so good to be back. Um, you'll, you'll know I've had a bit of a break. I think it's been about three months, which is, I think is the longest that I've ever had a break from doing podcast episodes and that's just because life's been crazy um this winter has been insane for bugs and if you're a kiwi mum living in new zealand you'll know exactly what i'm talking about this winter has been insane there's been so many bugs going around we've all been constantly sick and um just other personal things going on that aren't a big deal but you know it just kind of all piles up so I just haven't been in the headspace to be able to even prepare for a podcast so I'm so happy to now we're all healthy mostly <laughs> so we can get back into the podcast so yes welcome back if you've been listening for a while you'll know I'm not one to shy away from controversial subjects and the transgender topic is certainly controversial Transgender or gender identity as, as a subject has been getting more and more airtime on social media and the media as a whole. It has already started to be promoted in New Zealand schools and it has become a celebrated social vir virtue to raise your child as transgender. So as Christian parents we need to prepare ourselves for how we will tackle, tackle this subject with our own children because it will come up. It's not going away. Now before we get into all of that, I think it's really important that we recognize our responsibility towards the people who identify as transgender. Straight off the bat, straight off the bat, <laughs> we should regard them just as we would any other unbeliever. They are our neighbors. Our responsibility is to love them. Even if we were to consider them our enemy, which I don't know why, Jesus tells us to love our enemies. So yeah, our responsibility is to love them. It can be really easy to get caught up in the politics of the issue and actually look past the people who are involved. Think of the lost sheep, the lost coin. Those parables talk about the immense worth of those who are lost. The shepherd, he has 100 sheep and when just one sheep gets lost, he leaves the 99 and searches in the mountains for that one lost sheep. Same with the woman who loses one of her 10 coins. She turns her house upside down to find it. The lost have incredible value in God's eyes. A person who identifies as transgender has the same incredible worth in the eyes of God as do you or I. They need the gospel and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in their lives just as we all do. Now, I'm not saying that if a person who identifies as transgender, um, you know, like they can't be Christian or something like that, or they are automatically a lost person. Um, I think you can be Christian and transgender. You can come to Christ exactly as you are. But as the saying goes, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. We are all a work in progress, a continuing process of sanctification, the end goal being for our lives to look like Jesus. Now, for those of you who have been living under a rock, let's get you up to speed on transgenderism. So here's the def definition from webmd.com. 
Transgender is a general term that describes people whose gender identity or their internal sense of, of being female or male or something else does not match the sex they were assigned at birth. By contrast, the term cisgender describes people whose gender identity aligns with the sex that they were assigned at birth. Now, previously, pre uh, previously transgenderism was called gender dysphoria, and it was treated as a, a mental disorder. Now it has become a widely accepted way of life, something that should be affirmed and celebrated, not a medical condition to be treated. What's happening in the transgender movement is that men are saying, men are believing that they are actually women, or women are believing that they're actually men. And then they proceed to change their dress, change their name, uh, begin taking drugs and making surgical changes to force their bodies to conform to what they believe in their what they believe in their mind to be their true reality. That's how it started anyway. Um, it's gone beyond that now. It, it wasn't too long ago, and I mean maybe 10 or 20 years ago, that the vast majority of world leaders and doctors or just people with common sense would agree that there are two genders, male and female. Now, those in the world media will tell you, politicians will tell you, Google will tell you that there are more than two genders. That in fact, there are many more than two genders. Here, here are a few genders that you might not be aware of. Agender. So agender is not having a gender or a lack of a gender. So agender people see themselves as neither male nor a woman or both. So they could be both. They're gender neutral and often are described as gender free or gender less. The next term is multi-gender. This umbrella term is used to describe people who experience more than one gender identity. Other gender labels that fall under the multi-gender umbrella include bi-gender, tri-gender, pan-gender, polygender. And the last one for you today, and I'm, there are more, but these are the ones that I just thought I'd share with you. Uh, the last one for today is novi-gender. So people who use this gender identity experience having a gender that can't be described using existing language due to its complex and unique nature. And then there are those who no longer identify as human. A student, in, um, student who is currently attending a private school in Melbourne is identifying as a cat and the school is supporting her animal behaviour. So people are identifying as animals, uh, as aliens. Um, yeah, it, it's just like anything. People are changing their age, identifying as like children when they're adults. The rabbit hole of transgenderism, I mean, it goes so much deeper than um, where I'm willing to take us in this podcast, but I think you get the picture. So we've heard that. Now listen to this from the American College of Pediatricians. The norm for human development is for an individual's thoughts to align with physical reality, for an individual's gender identity to align with their biological sex. People who identify as feeling like the opposite sex or somewhere in between or some other category do not comprise a third sex. They remain biological men or biological women. GD, which is gender dysphoria, is a problem that resides in the mind, not in the body. Children with GD do not have a disordered body, even though they feel as if they do. 
There is no such thing as a third or fourth or fifth gender. Completing some kind of true transgenderism where you actually become the opposite gender is biologically impossible. Every cell in your body is coded as either male or female. You can dig up the bones of a person who has been dead for hundreds of years and you can tell just from their bones whether that person was male or female. Now, why does this all matter? Why should we care if someone wants to be a cat or become a male when they were born female or vice versa? Sorry, just having a sip of water. <clears throat> we should care because these are people, people who are actually suffering with serious mental health problems. We should care because these people need help. They need professional counselling for their problems. And when they are accepted in their new transgender identity, their mental health issues, as well as any identity or body image issues, are often ignored. The suicide rate for the overall population in the US is 4%. For transgender people, it is 40%. 40%, that's huge. And it remains at that massive rate, either pre or post-op. So that means that even if a transgender person gets to a point where they are completely unrecognizable as their biological self or their biological sex, and they have fully realize their transgender ideal through surgery, drugs, all of that. So if they have fully realized this transgender ideal, it still won't have fixed their problems. They will still have that high suicide rate. They'll still have those mental health problems. They need help. The book Irre Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier talks about how transgenderism is becoming an epidemic among young girls. So girls who previously might have become goth or emo or even gone down the road of anorexia are now looking to transgenderism to give them a sense of control and belonging. It's another way of masking their inner pain, their inner turmoil. So true, um, so true gender dysphoria does exist, meaning there are people who truly believe that they were born the wrong sex who truly believe that they are, let's say if it was me, I truly believe I'm a male, um, that does exist, but it is very rare, very rare. Listen to this from a recent news story out of the UK about a woman who is suing the National Health System. Her name's Kira Bell, she's 23 of Manchester. Okay, so she is taking legal action against the Tavistock and Portman NHS Trust in London. She suffered from transgender dysphoria, from gender dysphoria, dysphoria, sorry, as a child. She took testosterone, which left her with a deep voice and possibly infertile, and had a double mastectomy, but later realised she had gone down the wrong path. Miss Bell told ITV's This Morning Today, I grew up very gender non-conforming, and so that, along with things like sexuality struggles, kind of led to feelings of alienation. I just became very depressed in my teens and very anxious and definitely very distressed about my body and all of that kind of manifested into gender dysphoria. Miss Bell changed her name by Deadpool, changed her gender on documents and identified as male, but claimed she did not receive sufficient therapy sessions. 
At 17, she was first injected with testosterone and her body began to change. She said, I think I was happy because I thought I was able to finally move on with my life and live how I was, how I was supposed to live my life. She then had a double mastectomy at age 20. So if you don't know what that is, that's when they remove your breasts. I'd say roughly a year after my surgery, I just started to dissect my mind and how I got to that stage. And I, it was just a lot of reflecting and being very introspective. When asked about how she felt about the changes now, Miss Bell said, this is going to affect me for the rest of my life. And I have to make do with that and try and accept for how I am now and attempt to move on with that. It's true you can't change your sex. You can appear a certain way, if you'd had had me on a couple of years ago, I would have had the same story as others saying that it saved my life and I'm in a much better position. I don't think changing your body is going to help a psychological condition. Kira is not alone. There are many, many people who have been influenced by the transgender movement and who are now living with the consequences. I think we should be a little bit thankful here in New Zealand that we are kind of only just starting to see this become such a big deal in New Zealand because it has been already a massive deal in the States and in the UK where we are seeing lots and lots of children get trans, um, get transitioned into the opposite sex and then but now they've grown up like Kira and now they've just have massive regret about that so we should be learning from that in New Zealand. Um, there's up to 1,000 families and um, who are expected to file a medical neglig negligence lawsuit against the Tavistock Gender Identity Development Service, the National Health Centre's Gender Clinic for, for Children, Young People and Their Families. So that clinic is now going to be shut down, which is great news um, for those people who are struggling with that. Um, in the US, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, has added warnings to puberty blockers. So puberty blockers work by blocking the sex hormones, testosterone and estrogen, and actually can delay normal pubertal development such as breast growth, facial hair growth, periods, voice deepening, widening hips. It even affects your bones. Um, if you're a male and you're taking estrogen, it can um, weaken your bone density. Um, so the FDA actually identified six cases of female minors, so female children, who were taking puberty blockers and suffered from brain swelling and vision lost. Vision loss, sorry. And I listened to an interview recently where a young girl who developed complications from the puberty blockers that she was on, she had to have a hysterectomy. She is no longer transgender, but now she has to live without a womb for the rest of her life because she started on puberty blockers. Now this is what our New Zealand Ministry of Health website has to say about puberty blockers. Blockers are a safe and fully reversible medical, uh, fully re reversible medicine that may be used from early puberty through to later adolescence to help ease distress and allow time to fully explore gender health options. I mean, what? <laughs> that does not line up with the evidence that we are seeing from overseas. When I saw that, I was just like, how can they say that? Fully, uh, completely safe and fully reversible? No, I'm sorry, but no. Now, transgender ideology is something that we should be shielding our children from. It will not help them. 
that's what the evidence is showing us anyway. It only masks the problem and could lead them down a dangerous road of drugs and surgery. Things that they cannot come back from. That girl cannot come back from her double mastectomy. That girl cannot come back from having her womb removed. And some of these people um, will be sterile for life, won't ever be able to have children, and that's a tragedy. I mean, all of this is just a tragedy, those poor people. All right, now I have to give a massive shout out to Family First New Zealand for the amazing coverage that they have been giving to this topic. I used some of their resources um, from the website when I was preparing this episode. And um, Family First has been highlighting the sexuality education in New Zealand schools that is promoting transgender ideology and sexualized health education. So if you want resources, definitely check them out online. Now, I took the time to read through the Ministry of Education's Relationship and Sexuality edu Education. So this is a guide for teachers. This is not a compulsory curriculum. It's a guide. Um, and so I read that for myself and I don't know what I was expecting, but it was a lot worse than what I thought was going to be in there. Um, so the guide that I read is intended for teachers of children in years one to eight. So primary school. And let me share some of the content with you. This is from page 10 and the section is titled sex education or sexuality education. It is important to note that sex education and sexuality education are different. The New Zealand curriculum supports a holistic approach to sexuality education as defined by the Haora model, which includes physical, social, mental, emotional and spiritual aspects. This is much broader than sex education, which relates only to the physical aspects of sexual and reproductive knowledge. That last part is what gets me much broader than sex education, which relates only to the physical aspects of sexual and reproductive knowledge. This is not health or sex ed. This is, well, it's not the health or sex ed class that you and I were a part of in school. And remember, this is for primary age. This is year one to eight children. On page 10, this same page, same page, on page 10, it says this, schools are encouraged to question gender stereotypes and assumptions about sexuality, including gender norms, gender binaries, so that means male and female, gender stereotypes, sex norms, for example, the assumption that sex characteristics at birth are always male or female. This is ideolo ideology, not biology. As I mentioned Earlier, according to gender studies professors, Google, whoever, there are limitless genders. And this is something that the New Zealand Ministry of Education wants our children to believe. We know where that's going to lead and that's not healthy for our children. Um, one good thing about this guide is that it says that the school should ensure that the school community is consulted on the implementation of the curriculum. So before starting to introduce sexuality education, they need to consult with parents and the school board. But once it has been introduced, the school does not have to inform parents. In fact, they don't even need your permission to teach your children this curriculum or to have them be part of this curriculum. Uh, let me read you an excerpt from page 43 of the guide. Uh, the right to withdraw children. 
When the Board of Trustees has adopted the statement on the delivery of the health curriculum, the school does not need to seek parents or caregivers' permission for Akonga, which is students, to participate in the programme. However, according to the Education and Training Act 2020, parents or caregivers may write to the principal requesting to have their child excluded from any particular element of sexuality health sorry, of sexuality education in a health education program. The principal is required to ensure that the student is excluded from the relevant tuition and that the student is supervised during that time. And I know Family First actually covered a story recently where there was a mother who did that. She asked for her child to be excluded, but then the child came across the, some very um, inappropriate material um, by chance because they left it out um, for children to find. Um, but anyway, according to this, if you are an onto-it parent, you can write a letter to the school and request that your student, your, your child be removed from the sexuality education in health class. But you could do that and, you know, that would be a good idea. But honestly, according to this guide, the sexuality and gender diverse ideology is not limited to health class. You'd think that it would be but not in this guide. There is a whole section about how teachers can and should bring this sexuality education into English, science, art, and math. Oh, and even technology and others with tips on how to do it. This is not a guide on a new health class subject. This is a guide on how to impose ideology over biology school-wide in every subject. What can you do? Well, get in touch with your principal, that's for sure. Um, if we let, so if we let our kids think that they might not be a boy, that they might not be a girl or vice versa, we are planting a seed of doubt in one of the core elements of their identity, opening up to the possibility of their own gender identity crisis, either while they are still very young or when they are starting to head into those teenage years. So if your kids are in public school, it's definitely a good idea to get in touch with the principal to see if they are planning to incorporate the sexuality guide into their curriculum, or if they already have. Now, it's not compulsory for schools to implement the guide, and I know schools that have chosen not, chosen not to, but you won't know, and they won't tell you unless you ask. But what do we say? What do we say when our boys say to us, mum, I'm a girl, or when our girls say to us, mum, I'm a boy. Parents are being celebrated for transgendering, oh, transgender, transitioning their children at a young age. Actress Charlize Theron is one of those parents. Here is a little snippet from a Style magazine article on Charlize and her adopted son, Jackson. It starts... Not surprisingly, the Oscar-winning actress has received plenty of praise for her parenting skills. Jackson knew from a very young age that she was different. In fact, she was only three years old when she told her mother that she is a girl. This is a quote from Charlize. I thought she was a boy too, until she looked at me when she was three years old and said, I am not a boy. Charlize revealed that to the Daily Mail. So there you go, I have two beautiful daughters who, just like any parent, I want to protect and I want to see thrive. The long shot star shared. They were born who they are and exactly where in the world both of them get to find themselves as they grow up and who they want to be, this is not for me to decide. 
Theron dressed Jackson in female clothing from there on out, embracing her child for who she is. I don't know if you spotted the same thing that I did in that last part of the article. Theron dressed Jackson in female clothing from there on out, embracing her child for who she is. Who made the change? According to this article, it wasn't the child. I mean, she may have said, uh, her, Jackson may have said, I'm a girl, but it was Charlize who chose now to dress her son in girls' clothing, calling him a her. I'm sorry, but that's not embracing your child for who they are. It's completely the opposite. My son, when he was around three years old, he was in the bath one day and he said to me, Mummy, I'm a girl. Very similar to what Jackson said to Charlize, but I did not respond to my son the way Charlize responded to her son. First I said, you're so silly, and then got his toothbrush ready for brushing his teeth. And when he said it again, I said, what's that between your legs? You have a penis. You're not a girl. You're a boy. And then bath time was over and we moved on. That was it. He said it again when he was four years old. And I said something similar again. But I just added on that God knew what he was doing. And he made him, my son, exactly the way he was meant to be. A wonderful little boy. My son has always been the most boy-y boy that there ever was. He loves cars and trucks and sports, rough and tumble play and dinosaurs. He loves being a boy. He was not declaring to me that he is a girl because he has gender dysphoria. He was just saying a thing. He was at that age where, uh, yeah, he was at an age where he actually had a baby sister, a new baby sister. And his curiosity about his baby sister probably had something to do with it. He's a kid. Just because they say something doesn't mean it's true. My son's baby sister is now five years old. And many times, on many occasions, she has said to me that she's a boy. She is the most girly girly girl who has ever girled. She loves pink and rainbow, rainbows and unicorns and dancing and nail polish. But she also plays a game with her little sister. I have two girls. Uh, where she prances around the room talking in a deep voice with her shirt off, saying, and this is a direct quote, Mom, look at us weirdo boys. We're the boys. Hey, bro. Hi, Dad. we got to speak like we're the boys. All while she and her sister are laughing hysterically and having the best time just being silly. Because that's what they're doing, being silly. Proverbs 22 verse 15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of dis discipline, um, King James Version says correction, drives it far from him. The world seems to have this idea that somehow three-year-old children are wise. I think it comes from Eastern religion, the belief that a child is pure and somehow closer to God. A three-year-old is not wise. Three-year-olds don't know things. They barely have a grasp on the English language. I remember, my, I remember my son, when he was around three or four years old, getting so upset and so upset that he was literally red in the face and crying because I didn't understand what he was asking me. He had been saying to me, mum, what's courage? And I kept ask, answering him with what courage means. I'm like, oh, what a great word that means. It's like brave and it means like um, overcoming like fear. And, that's, and, and I kept describing to him what courage means and he kept asking me and said no 
what's courage? And so I kept explaining it to him in different ways, trying to help him to understand what courage is. But he was getting so upset. And then finally he pointed to something with tears in his eyes, full of frustration and said, no, what's that? And he was pointing at a container of curry. He was asking me, what's curry? But he didn't, he got his words mixed up. He said courage instead. It was, I felt so bad. I was like, I was trying to, <laughs> okay. But anyway, we got there in the end. We love our children, but they don't know a lot of things. If I believed everything my, my children told me and changed our lives accordingly, my toddler would be living her best life as a dog right now. <laughs> so this is my youngest daughter now. Um, she plays a game called Doggy where she gets our dog lead and has me put it on her jumper and then her big sister holds the lead and they just go around playing Doggy. The doggy goes around the room, woofs, pants, gets pats and it's just a fun game that my toddler loves to play. But there's always a point where it's time to put the dog lead away, get off our hands and knees and come up to the table for dinner. Foolishness is bound up in our children's hearts. Imaginary play has its place, but if my toddler start, suddenly started wanting me to feed her on the floor, to have that lead on 24-7, not ever talk, but only speak in barks and move around on all fours constantly, it's time for correction. You are not a dog. You are a little girl, and that is not how little girls behave. I've never had to do that, though, because we've not crossed that line. Um, so if I was to treat these instances with my children the way that Charlie's and many other parents have treated their children's statement of gender, then I would have two transgender children and a dog child. I'm not trying to make fun, but this is what is happening and what is being celebrated. Again, our children, they're not the orbiters of wisdom. Kids play, kids say things they don't understand. If our children are small and they're having, having silly pretend play, that's fine. But if it carries on too long or it goes too far, then that's when it's time for the parent to step in. I picked up my daughter from kindy the other day and when she held my hand, it reminded me of our role as parents. My hand was down at my side she was, she was walking beside me and she grabbed my hand when she was starting to feel worried. Holding my hand gave her reassurance because I am the one who is there to keep her safe, to show her the way to go. There are times when our children will reach out to us for reassurance of where they need to be and where they need to go, and that's good. But the main reason that we as parents hold our children's hands is to keep them safe. There have been times where I've had to grip my child's hand so firmly, so firm that they didn't like it, but it saved their life. Walking out into oncoming traffic has been a regular one. There have been times when we are holding hands that my daughter tells me this way and I have to tell her, no honey, it's this way. She doesn't know the way. We need to show our kids the way. So this is the approach that we take when our kids are small. But what about when our kids are in that tween teenage stage? What do you do when they start to want to identify as the opposite sex? I obviously haven't faced this yet because my children are still young. They're now eight, five and three. They might not need us to hold their hand anymore when they're 
tweens or teenagers, but they still need our guidance. If it were my daughter telling me that she is actually a boy and wanting me to start calling her Dave, what would I do? It's important to note that research shows that children will grow out of their gender confusion if people just if parents just watch and wait. The Christian Medical Dental oh, sorry, the Christian Medical and Dental Association, CMDA, right? Children should guide oh, sorry, parents should guide their children in appropriate gender identity development. For children who are experiencing gender identity confusion, the Christian community should provide appropriate role models and informed guidance. The other day I watched a 60 minutes story about a boy who was convinced he was actually a girl. When he started growing bigger and started going through puberty, I think it was around 13, his mum got him estrogen tablets, which stopped his growth spurt. It softened his bone structure and density and made him start developing small breasts. And initially he was very happy about this. He was 15, so it was only about two years later. He was 15 when he realized that he actually is a boy. He stopped taking the hormones and now he's going to South Korea to get his breasts removed. What would I do if it were my daughter? I think I would start by asking a lot of questions. Questions like, why do you think you're a boy? When did you start wanting to be a boy? And I would listen. And then I would tell her something about myself. I was a very girly little girl. I know not every girl is. That's not what makes you a girl. But I was. I loved dresses. I loved pretty things. Pink and sparkles. But then puberty came along and I hated it. I, um, I started wearing baggy clothing. Um, hunching my back to like hide my growing chest. I wore more masculine clothing. Basically, I just hated that my body was changing and that there was nothing that I could do about it. I hated getting my period. I remember writhing around on my bed because the cramps were so bad. Once I even fainted, fainted onto the shower um, because of my period. So I hated it. <laughs> it seemed like boys got it so much easier than the girls. I never wanted to actually become a boy because I knew that it was impossible. It was never op an option for me. But part of me was jealous of boys. And maybe if someone had told me that there was a way to stop feeling uncomfortable in my own body, to stop having a period, to stop my breasts growing, maybe I would have considered it. It took a long time for me to feel comfortable in my body again. But I did. I would tell her the truth, that puberty sucks, it's hard, but it's something that everything has to go through, and that she is not a boy. She will never be a boy, even if she changed everything about herself. I would tell her that she is a girl, and that God made her a girl on purpose. She is fearfully and wonderfully made, and with God's help, she will get through this. And I would tell her these things over and over again as well as reassuring her of how much I love her no matter what. And if that constant reassurance of who she is isn't enough, then I would look at getting professional counselling from a good Christian counsellor, if possible, for my daughter. Maybe you're going through this with your child right now. You are not alone. 
There are so many amazing resources available. Check out Family First New Zealand's website and also focus on the family in the US. They have a great resource section uh, with help for parents who are going through this with their child. I will put links in the website uh, to their websites in the description below. But can I just say this? We need to encourage our children and the younger generation. I'm talking Gen Z and younger. We need to encourage them that they were born at this particular time in history on purpose. God chose this time for them to be alive. They were made to tackle these problems that we never had to face. They were made to tackle them and to overcome them with God's help. Let's encourage our young people that God is with them. He will not leave them. He will not forsake them. John 14, 17 says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus said this to his disciples on the night that he was to be arrested and then the following day crucified. The night that the disciples' world was turned upside down. It might feel like your world is being turned upside down, that everything is backwards. But Jesus offers us his peace in the midst of these great storms, in these great trials of our lives. Maybe you're struggling with gender identity, or maybe you are just feeling overwhelmed with the prospect of bringing your children up in a world where, in a, in a country that is moving further and further away from the Christian values that shaped it. It can be so easy to look for peace in the wrong places, in a new gender identity, in politics and arguments, but we will never find true peace in this world. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Remember him who has overcome the world. If your heart has been impacted at all during this episode, I just want to encourage you to take that and to turn it into prayer. Even pause this podcast, this podcast right now and cry out to God with all that is on your heart. Ask him to give you his peace. Ask him to help you. Even if that's all you say, but say it. Say it often. Say it out loud in prayer and see what the Lord can do. It could take a long time for you to see the answer to that prayer, but don't give up. Don't give up. Pray continually. God will answer. The final thing that I want to say in this episode is just to ground yourself in the good news of the gospel. In the word of God. Set aside some time this week for private worship and prayer. Build your relationship with the Lord. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. In the, next week, uh, in the next episode, we will be looking through the Bible to see if transgender ideology is biblical. There are some who say that it is biblical. Are they right? The word of God will tell us. Look, thank you so much for listening. I hope that this episode has been a blessing to you. God bless and I'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Outside of Sunday podcast. You can connect with the podcast on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, like, give us five stars, and maybe let somebody you know know about this podcast.